Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Oh, Captain, my Captain. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. I'll have what she's having. You have chosen wisely. It reminds us all that once was good. And it could be again. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. Welcome once again to the 30-something movie podcast. Uh, We are back again, this time for Dead Poets Society. We are moving right along in 1989. Uh, Dead Poets Society this time around. And uh, I've got a couple of new movie news things real quick that we want to get into. And I've got uh, two of the co-hosts are here with me tonight. So very, very quickly before I introduce these fine gentlemen here, we do spoil the movies that we talk about. So we are going to spoil Dead Poets Society. I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Rise of Skywalker trailer that came out a few days ago. So we are going to spoil as much as you can spoil a teaser trailer. We may do that. Um, and also Dead Poet Society. So if you are not ready to hear some of those things, then you may want to wait, go and see the movie, and then come back later. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes, please feel free to go over and do that real quick. It's really, really helpful to us. It's probably the best way to help out the show, um, you know, short of anybody donating financially through something like a, a Patreon or something like that. So that would be a great way to help out too. If you want to find out more about the show, go to 30podcast.com and that's where that's our website that's got all of our past episodes, all the different ways that you can get in touch with us. Uh, you can also find us on all the different social medias, Facebook, Twitter. We do, you know, we interact quite a bit on on Twitter. Um, but also we've got an account on Letterboxd. So if you want to see some of the lists that we've created on Letterboxd or if you want to see a nice kind of visual way to browse all the movies we've done up to this point and find those episodes, you can do that through Letterboxd. Uh, we are 30 podcasts on all of those different services. Uh, so with me tonight, I have Love Fest. Love Fest, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. How are you? Good. For those not in the know from a few episodes ago, Love Fest is Bo Warmbold. Woohoo. But we changed his name for I don't remember why, but I don't either. I don't <laughs> think we need to know why. Nope. I think it's it's just leave it at that. That's there it is. Um and then we've also got Pat Canagallo. Hey, sorry I interrupted that in your little intro, but I just have to say when you said we were gonna talk about the rise of Skywalker. I had goosebumps. Every hair on my body stood up. I got so excited when all you said was the rise of Skywalker. I and that's and you have a lot of hair. I got a lot of hair, and it was yeah. Up. It was like it was like when they say Aslan is on the move, and they all get there you go. and they don't know why. Or like when mm-hmm. someone says Mufasa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Say it again. Ooh. Which all by the right. way, that's about to come out. That's a. It is. Yeah. Isn't that like? Isn't that like a month or two away? Yeah, I'm kind of excited. If even, yeah. After the treatment the Jungle Book got, I'm really excited to see what they're going to mm-hmm. do with the Lion King. I still have not seen the Jungle Book. Oh, uh, super good. Okay. I I'll check it out. When I first saw it, I had some problems with some of the changes they made, but I think okay. in the end, it was well done. Uh, very quickly, before we get going too much further into the episode, um, I was going to mention very fast that I was checking our... Um, 
our podcast we host through Podbean, and they give me some, um, oh, just kind of some analytics and statistics on, you know, who's listening and where they're from and all that kind of stuff. And um, I was just going to mention that we had for a for a stretch of time lately, we have had a large uptick in listeners. So uh, we had, yeah, so we had over a fourteen day period. Um, you know, nor, and, and we don't have a ton of listeners. So thank you so much to everyone who does come out and listen to the show. Um, you know, we don't have a ton hi, of mom. listeners. We've hi mom. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it does steady stream of folks. And over the last two weeks, we had something like, I want to say like a couple thousand a week. Wow. Really? And I was like, say what? Does it like get as deep into like going? Are people going back and watching old things, listening to old episodes? Like, yeah, actually, I was looking around at some of the different ones that people have been pulling up lately. And uh, in the last month, our top 10 episodes have been uh, the UHF episode, the My Left Foot episode, the Glory mm-hmm. episode, the Captain Marvel, War of the Roses, Turner and Hooch. But then get past that, and like the last of the top ten were uh, RoboCop, The Lost Boys, Die Hard, and Fatal Attraction. Wow. So we're kind of all over the place. I, I, I know Jeff is going to be disappointed. There for a while, his was the most listened to episode. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it still is, but I'm sure it's still up there somewhere. But uh, yeah, yeah, we got most of our listeners come from the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, and India. Oh, okay. And New Zealand. Well, New Zealand's in there too. So, right. Yeah. So, I don't so know. That, that so was we're that was pretty cool. I was, subcontinent is what you're saying. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I was I was pretty surprised to see that we are we're actually coming up on all time. I know we've been doing this for for a few years now, but um, and and like I said, our listener base is not quite as big as some of the other podcasts, especially if you're Australian, because for some reason, apparently, if you're an Australian podcaster, you automatically have 50 million listeners. Um, but our show, we are actually coming up on 20,000 listeners, 20,000 uh, downloads all time. So really for for a little bit mighty show like ours, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Well, yeah, that's awesome. And so, John, again, cool. kudos, kudos to you for having the vision. Oh, hey, that's my my vision is here with the rest of you guys. Awesome. So, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, all right, so we got some stuff to talk about. We've got some dead poets to talk about. We've got some uh, dead emperors. I mean, oh, whoa! I did I do that? Somebody's coming. Oh man, I said that already, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Okay, we probably just need to get into that right now then. Mm. Okay, so very, very quickly, and I, I'm probably not going to, I'm going to try not to talk so much. Before you get into the plot, yeah, quote unquote, of this teaser, can I just nerd out for a minute, and, and maybe Dennis will chime in on this on the love line after the fact, but. It's, it's what I'd love you to do. Go for it. If you go to watch the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker teaser trailer on YouTube. Which I have 30 sometimes now. They, this is the power of Disney. I feel like they have talked YouTube into a special window for this video. Yes, they have. It is ultra widescreen cinema format. I have struggled and I have been trying to find another trailer that is using that ultra wide cinema window. Wow. Yeah, I've noticed that. I've noticed that the, even, even just the look is different. Super weird. 
Yeah. Like I, every time I think I found one that does it, I click on it. And I'm like, nah, sure enough. It is formatted differently. They have just spent the time and the effort and convinced Google and YouTube that this is worth it. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Well, it's the last Star Wars movie for a while. I wonder if it has anything to do with YouTube's push into renting movies. I wonder if they're experimenting with a might be a, a cinema window, but very interesting. Yeah, just had to nerd out about that for a second. And now I'll let you uh, talk about plot and things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. Well, and I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to talk too much because I just recorded an entire episode on this by myself and I, I just posted that up before we started recording. So, um, so it'll be out there for anybody who wants to go listen to it. But the, the thing I will say is it was a lot of fun being at Celebration, at Star Wars Celebration this last weekend and getting to be in the panel. Um, as I mentioned in the recording I did, I wasn't in the actual room where the actors and the director were, but I was in one of the overflow viewing rooms. Still, you had to win a lottery to get one of those seats. So, you know, it was, it was just fun to be there with a bunch of the other fans and, you know, people screaming all around you as soon as this thing came on. And, um, it was just a lot of fun to be with a whole bunch of other people that were excited to be there. So... Episode nine, Rise of Skywalker. You see the trailer for the first time. What's your initial reaction? And keep in mind, we are a family-friendly show. Mild disappointment that they felt they had to go back to the Emperor well. Okay. But then I also realized that for all the people who complained that they killed off, that they backed away from canon when Disney bought into Lucasfilm. 
the emperor coming back always was canon. Right. So I had to step back for a second and say, okay, okay, it feels like a cheap stunt, but it's not really. It was always there. Right. So I'm coming back around on it, but I'm a little disappointed. I also feel like there's a a lot of hinting at some inter-trilogy retconning that bothers me. Okay. I feel like there was some disappointment coming out of episode eight that they're trying to rectify. And I'm worried that's going to be clunky. Okay. But this is coming from a guy who tries to avoid trailers because, mm-hmm. well, that's just how I am. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I got. Okay. <laughs> All right. Patronus. Okay. So um, my initial reaction was I, the I really dug that it started with the heavy breathing. I'm not trying to sound like innuendos aside. I mean, you could tell like someone is putting themselves through their paces, and I thought that was a really cool meeting. Um, that whole thing with the TIE fighter that was like a nod to North by Northwest um, was was crazy awesome, and I, I, get, I really dig the whole Jedi, arca- not archaic, but, you know, an elegant weapon from a more civilized age mm-hmm. yeah. off technology. Luke versus the speeder bike, um, Luke versus the AT-AT Walker, uh, Darth Vader versus an entire squad of rebel troopers. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I just like seeing that. And, and that's what that first, that first scene, um, demonstrated. So that, that original immediately set the tone for, wow, this is going to be awesome. Um, very excited to see Lando Calrissian in there. Uh, very cool to see Billy D. Williams. Yeah, that is uh, going to be cool. And, you know, just giving this big belly laugh. because And that was one of the things that I remember mentioning about Star Wars, that the original three, uh, or not original, I'm sorry, the, the new trilogy, the episode one, two, and three, became, like, dogmatically uh, uh, wrapped up in the whole story of the Jedi and their training and all that, which I thought was very cool. But to me, it almost sacrificed a whole element of Star Wars that was like swashbuckling space pirate smugglers kind of thing. And I thought that when they, you know, these, you know, episodes seven and eight kind of recaptured that a little bit to where, you know, Han Solo and Chewbacca and, you know, great pilots flying spaceships through the galaxy, you know, like that element kind of came back. And, and that one scene of, when all this stuff is going crazy and oh my gosh, this sounds this is gonna be scary and this is awful and boy she's hugging Princess Leia and a thousand years is down the tubes, but you shall rise, but you have a fight. Just to see Lando and Chewie ripping across space in the Millennium Falcon and Lando giving this big belly laugh. I thought that was pretty cool. Because yeah. um, because like I said, it was a whole it's an element of Star Wars that I think is very, very cool. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to see them kind of putting that out there. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to talk fast and be brief. I mean, obviously, you guys know Millennium Falcon has excited, and that looked really cool. Um, all the stuff with, you know, it looks like they're on some sort of a quest, and you know, fighting and drama. And of course, I'm like, okay, well, Carrie Fisher's in it, or Princess Leia's in it. So how are they gonna, you know, put that element together? And then with the Emperor laughing sadistically in the background, 
it's um that was like i mean that again that that really got me i was not expecting that um, yeah neither was any of the crowd i was with okay mm. and they was, went nuts <laughs> yeah and it was sort of like oh well this is okay yeah all right so where did that come from whoa you know um yeah and that that's the note that it ends on is uh uh very exciting so yeah anyways those were just kind of my initial thoughts yeah yeah well like i said i i'm i don't want to talk i'm not going to talk too much or at all about this because i've already kind of done that but yeah it was just it was a lot of fun to be there it was a lot of fun to be among all the other people watching this when you had the emperor laugh at the end of the trailer and then uh as the lights come up uh ian mcdermid the actor who plays the emperor is on the stage and he picks up the microphone and says roll it again and then they show the trailer one more time um just it was it was a lot of fun like it was it was really fun to be there um the the rest of my time at Star Wars Celebration, uh, you know, I I learned that Star Wars Celebration is not necessarily something you go to just for one day because if you want to do things, you have to wait in line for many hours. Uh, so there were several things I did not get to do, but the other thing that I did get to do was I went to another panel uh, where uh, uh, a guy who works for the music department for both Lucasfilm and LucasArts when they were around making video games. Um, he's done a lot of composing or music work on some of the movies, TV shows, video games, and he's done some voice work in some of the movies, like pick up uh, stuff for, for random, like Stormtrooper voices, things like that. Um, he used to do a show with the like one of the bigger Star Wars podcasts called Rebel Force Radio. They used to do a show called Star Wars Oxygen where they would go through, I think I've talked about it before on here. They would go through and they would take each of the movies and they'd take about three episodes. Uh, so they'd spend, you know, a, a good, you know, maybe like three hours, three and a half hours just analyzing and, and picking apart the music of each of the movies and, and really just talking about the influences of where those pieces came from and, and all that stuff. And they went through the entire trilogy and they even did, um, I don't remember if they ever did episode eight, but they went through and they did all the way up to rogue one. Um, and then that show kind of disappeared and I thought, Oh, well maybe they're just, maybe they're not doing much with it right now. Maybe they just got too busy. Well, he was doing a, a panel at star Wars celebration where he was kind of picking apart the music of the phantom menace. And he was showing, he had a keyboard up on stage. He was playing through, some of the different songs and showing where the influences were from and how, you know, this piece of music ends up. If you listen to these few notes, this ends up becoming the Imperial March one day and, and all this different stuff come to find out he's got a new podcast called the soundtrack show. And I've started listening to it. It's really, really good. Like his first several episodes, he just talks about uh, music and movie music in general, just to kind of get, um, especially for somebody like me to get a, a non-musician kind of up to speed with some of the terminology he's going to use and, and just some of the concepts. And then the first movie he really ends up covering is Jaws. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm in the middle of episode two of a three episode um, series that he's doing on the music of Jaws. And he just, I don't know where he finds the time to do a full-time job and then to do all the research on, this music and where it came from and things from John Williams personal life that would have influenced his writing at the time. And just, 
he clearly has a lot of knowledge in his head that he is able to pull out um, for these different movies and, and soundtracks. And, and I guess some of his other shows, he does Back to the Future and um, just a whole bunch of different. He's, he's expanded beyond Star Wars to go through different soundtracks. So I, I really, I've subscribed to the podcast. I've been listening to it. It's been a lot of fun, but it was fun to kind of get to see him in person, go through that kind of analysis of, of some of the music pieces. What was your most surprising thing of what you've heard so far and what he talked about? What was the most surprising thing that you felt like, boy, I never knew that. Or, wow. That's interesting. about the, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The one that, um, I really liked how he kind of went through the like the history of how the Duel of the Fates music came about. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed the Anakin's theme from episode one. So little kid Anakin, how his theme, when you listen to it, he said, when you listen to it, it, it really is not very memorable. Like it's Anakin's theme is not one that people go, oh yeah, I can hum that. Um, but if you listen to it, it really has bits and pieces of nearly all of the major star Wars themes in it uh, throughout the song. He said, if there's any song that's like the DNA of star Wars music, it would be Anakin's theme from episode one. Um, The one that was really cool. And Pat, I know I was telling you about this the other day was the, uh, the one at the end of episode one with the, the children singing the Augie's great municipal band. That one I, I thought was really cool, and I remember hearing this before, but I had I'd kind of forgotten about it. Um, when you have the children doing the kind of the the chanting or the choir singing at the end of that song, and it's very triumphant and it's very happy and and celebratory. Um, and he pointed out, he's like, well, you know, if you just change these notes ever so slightly and slow them down and lower them in pitch, you have the men's choir from the Emperor's theme. It's much darker and scarier, but it's really almost the same music. And I'm like, that makes the end of episode one really creepy, <laughs> but also very awesome. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. So I sometimes we come on here and we we recommend other podcasts. I would recommend that one right now, the soundtrack show. If anybody's looking for a podcast to listen to and you're a fan of movie music or just movies and music in general, uh, go check out that one. It's David W. Collins is the host of that one. And so far, I'm only a few episodes in, but it's it's one that I'm going to be listening to every time a new episode comes out. But yeah, the, the Star Wars celebration is a lot of fun, fun to see people in, in costumes. They had some different replicas of some of the ships, like full-size stuff. Um, it was funny. A lot of people, just random people, were kind of waiting in line to get their picture taken next to a full-size X-Wing. But when I walked over to the TIE Fighter, it was all people who were dressed up as Imperial pilots. Mm-hmm. Like that was like 90% of the line was people dressed as Imperial pilots. So I don't know if they were trying to get in a, a big group photo or something, but um, 
but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I, I did a little bit of minimal dressing up because I, I wanted mm-hmm. to be comfortable, but I, I needed to have a costume on too. So uh, I had my green lightsaber with me and I, I just went as the uh, full black um, Return of the Jedi Luke. Nice. So I, I had an opportunity. There was a photo op area where you could sit on a speeder bike. So I sat on a speeder bike, had my green lightsaber, and I got my picture taken with that. So I, I do have proof I was there. Normally when I go by myself, I don't have proof that I was actually there. But uh, there is proof that I will fit on a speeder bike. There you go, man. Now, not a moving speeder bike, let's say that. Because I guarantee I would fall off. Because I'm not, unlike you, Pat, I don't think I would do too well on a motorcycle. So speeder bike like 10 times worse. Well, you know what I say to that, John? I think motorcycles would be good for anybody to ride. So, well, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay, that's fine. I'm not saying I'm anti-motorcycle. I'm just saying I know I would fall off. Balance is not... We may be bringing balance to the force. Balance is not one of my strong suits. Got it. Hmm. A- Anakin would have a hard time bringing balance to the John. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> and see, what I just said there, that could, that could be something totally different. <laughs> that statement has been... That that really backfired, yeah. And and hearing about the backfire just makes it that much better. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> it's going to be tough for the rest of an audio podcast when I stop talking, but I'm going to stop talking now. All right. Uh, the only other thing that I wanted to say is that as of this year, and I forgot to look up the exact date for this other one, but um, one of the things they were kind of making a big deal out of, and I, when I realized it, I was like, uh, yes, it is is that um, this year is the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace. Oh, wow. Whoa. So just like thinking that that is 20 years old. And then I saw an article earlier today that, and, and of course, because it came out the same year, The Matrix is also 20 years old. Oh. Yikes. Yeah. So just think, we've only got 10 more years until we do The Phantom Menace and The Matrix. I can't wait. And I'm just going to say, again, because spring break, I surprised myself. I I rewatched that trilogy not twice. I rewatched that trilogy three times over spring break. Like oh I, yeah, I'm okay. Oof, twenty years old. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, I will say I, I did buy a couple of items when I was at Star Wars Celebration. Uh, I bought uh, I got a uh, a clone trooper action figure for John. I got a little uh, porg purse for Nora, um, cause porgs are her favorite thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, let's see. Oh, uh, for Sharon, she and I have matching pins now, so she can wear one and I can wear one. And one of them says, I love you. And the other one says, I know. Um, and then I, I got a t-shirt and I, one of my favorite things I got, um, which I'm not drinking out of right now. Cause I think it's in the dishwasher is a, um, a pint glass that says Guinness on the front, but then it has a picture of Alec Guinness on top of it. Outstanding. So I'm I, I'm a fan of that one. All right. Well, I don't think I have any other new movie news or anything else. Um, if you guys saw anything else that you want to talk about, we can do that for a minute. Otherwise, we can start to jump on in. We'll do our This Week in 89, but we can start to jump on into Dead Poets Society if you guys are ready. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Okay. Uh, very quickly, I will say uh, this actually came out, uh, oh, let's see, it was early in March. Um, but I, since our recording schedule has been a little... Uh, crazy lately. Um, I'm, we're just now mentioning it, so thank you to uh, the guys that left it. We did have a new iTunes review, a five-star review left by a reviewer named uh, Derelict88. 
uh, and it was left kind of back in early March. And they said, 30-something celebrates all things cinema 30 years later retrospective. It's a clever idea that ages with the show. The hosts are engaging and insightful, and their passion for movies comes through. Listen and give them a subscription. Thank you very much, Derelict88. Yeah, right on. Wow, cool. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So this week in 89, so we're looking at the week of April 17th to about April 23rd. Uh, on April 19th, we have the Central Park jogger incident. Incident: A woman was assaulted in Central Park, and it's regarded as one of the most widely publicized crimes of the 1980s. Uh, on April 21st, George W. Bush becomes a co-CEO of the Texas Rangers. On April 23rd, 23rd? Yeah, April 23rd, UCLA quarterback Troy Aikman is picked up by the Cowboys in the NFL draft. Who cares? Uh, you may leave the show now, sir. Oh, careful. <laughs> careful. Mm-hmm. Careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I care. Uh, the top book is still The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. The top movie was Major League, and the top song is She Drives Me Crazy by the Fine Young Cannibals. Cannibals. Oh wow, that's a name I have not heard. She drives me in crazy. A <laughs> in a long time. A long time. All right. Well, our movie this time is Dead Poet Society. It came out on the 9th of June, 1989, rated PG, with a runtime of two hours and eight minutes, directed by Peter Weir, who also did the Truman Show and Master and Commander. Uh, producers for this one are Stephen Haft, Paul Junger Witt, who died in 2018, and Tony Thomas. Haft did Hocus Pocus, Witt did Golden Girls, and Thomas did Insomnia. Writers are Tom Schulman, who did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and What About Bob. Cinematography was John Seal. He did Mad Max Fury Road and Witness. Music was by Maurice Jarre, who died in 2009, uh, did the music for Ghost, Lawrence of Arabia, and Dr. Zhivago. The budget was $16.4 million. The box office was $235.9 million, so it didn't do too bad. Rotten Tomatoes Critics gives it an 84%. Rotten Tomatoes Audience a 92%. IMDb is an 81%. Letterboxd is an 80%. And CinemaScore is an A+. Robin Williams played John Keating. He was in Good Morning Vietnam and Mrs. Doubtfire. Robert Sean Leonard played Neil Perry. He was in House and The Age of Innocence. Ethan Hawke played Todd Anderson. He was in Training Day and the movie series Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Josh Charles played Knox Overstreet. He was in the TV series The Good Wife and the series The Sports Night. Gail Hansen played Charlie Dalton. He was in the TV series called Class of 96. Dylan Cussman played Richard Cameron. He was in Jack Reacher and Leatherheads. Leilon Ruggiero played Stephen Meeks. I probably got that name wrong, but we were going to go with it. Uh, played Stephen Meeks. He was in the movie Fallen and The Greenskeeper. James Waterston played Gerard Pitts. He was in Law and Order, SVU, and Six Feet Under. Norman Lloyd played Mr. Nolan. He was in The Age of Innocence and Spellbound. And Kurtwood Smith played Mr. Perry. He was in Robocop and That 70s Show, and also in Star Trek VI. Uh, that's it for all my actor information. So we're going to give you the trailer, and we'll be back here in just a moment. Gentlemen, what are the four pillars? Tradition, honor, Discipline, excellence, manners up. Welton Academy for Boys, a breeding ground for the future leaders of America, an institution dedicated to achievement, virtue, and conformity. 
a school whose rigid standards are upheld by every single teacher. Except one. Come on, Mr. Overstreet, you twerp. Mr. Anderson, are you a man or an amoeba? Language was developed for one endeavor, and that is... To communicate. No! To woo women. Mr. Keating. Some people like to rock, some people like to roll, but moving in a groove is gonna satisfy my soul and have a party. Touchstone Pictures presents Robin Williams as John Keating, teacher. Well, is this a dagger I see before me? Philosopher. I like Byron. I give him a 42, but I can't dance to him. Orator. Oh, Titus, bring your friend hither. And founder of the Dead Poet Society. A bunch of guys sitting around reading poetry. No. Ding. Thank you for playing anyway. What was the Dead Poets Society? The Dead Poets were dedicated to sucking the marrow out of life. Spirits soared, women swooned, and gods were created. Not a bad way to spend an evening, eh? I hereby reconvene the Dead Poets Society. To strive, to seek, to find. Gotta do more, gotta be more. <laughs> Dare to walk a new path. Dare to strike out and find new ground. I'm hearing rumors, John, about some unorthodox teaching methods in your classroom. Break out. I'm gonna do it! John Keating. He began by teaching English. Now, he's changing lives. I got the part! Tear out the entire introduction. Who put you up to it? Was it this new man, this, uh, Mr. Keating? Are we just playing around out here? Or do we mean what we say? Vision, honor, discipline, rip. Fred Tear! What is this Dead Poet Society? I want names. This is a battle, a war. The casualties could be your hearts and souls. For the first time in my whole life, I know what I want to do. Medicine, law, business, engineering. These are noble pursuits. Poetry, romance, love. These are what we stay alive for. That's beautiful. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. Dear. Sit down. What the hell is going on here? Seize the day. Touchstone Pictures presents Robin Williams as John Keating. He was the inspiration that made their lives extraordinary. Dead Poet Society. Who was he in Star Trek VI? He played the Federation president. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I did not realize that. I don't think I knew that until I looked this stuff up. I'm, I'm going to go back and watch Star Trek 6. I, I know. You know what you, what you should probably do is you probably just start from the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Watch all the Star Treks tonight? Yeah, just start from the beginning. I fell into the original series rabbit hole. I'm just saying. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, we have been watching Discovery, and we kind of like it. Cool. So it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, so Dead Poet Society. Um, I will start our discussion off by saying I have nothing but good things to say about this movie. This movie is probably one of the reasons I wanted to become a teacher. Oh wow! Right on. So I mean, that's this. I mean, I Robin Williams is always really. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Robin Williams. I've always I've watched his stuff since I was a kid with Mork and Mindy and. Um, you know, a, a lot of his different movies, you know, Popeye when he was Popeye. Um, and even at a younger age, I remember seeing uh, Good Morning Vietnam, probably when I shouldn't have seen it or you know, at least heard the soundtrack over and over again. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire, like a lot of that stuff, but always kind of growing up, I just remember him being one of my favorite comedians and favorite actors. Uh, so watching this one, I think this is probably the first time I remember seeing him in a serious role, even though he still had that kind of quirky creativity to his character, to John Keating, but it was not like the crazy manic Robin Williams that you normally see in his other roles, not like Mork and Mindy kind of stuff. Um, 
but yeah, so this, you know, this movie in particular, um, is probably what, cause you know, ultimately when I became a teacher, I became an English teacher and I would hazard a guess and say that this movie is probably one of the major reasons that I decided to become a teacher. Cool. So I, I really, really like this movie. I don't ever want to speak for someone. And it's so unfortunate that Jeff can't make it here tonight. That's sort of like Dennis missing out on the Field of Dreams uh, podcast with Jeff. I know that Jeff echoed your sentiments. Mm -hmm. It was very influential in uh, him becoming a teacher as well. Yeah. I I have a hunch it steered a lot of people in that direction. It shows the life-changing effects that, that that a teacher can have. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Oh, wow. It, it's funny you ask that. I know it wasn't in the theater. I know it was at home. Um, I think the first time I saw it all the way through, I was older than I think I was. Okay. Because there are definitely parts of it that I don't remember as well as others. Like some of the beginning. I feel like I've seen it on cable so much that I would just find it. Yeah. You know, so much of the beginning is sort of, oh, yeah, I remember this now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely saw it a long time ago, and I've seen it a bunch since. It's a fantastic film. Yeah, this is one of the first ones after I heard Robin Williams had died. Um, this and uh, Good Morning Vietnam were the first two movies I wanted to watch as soon as I had heard that. I'd say that's a that's a good uh, that's a good top two right there. Yeah. Very much so. Pat, what about you? Do you remember the first time you saw this one? So this one is interesting for me because I have only seen it a handful of times, and I I saw it much later in the game. Now, the question as to why it I I think coming up, I think I got this movie like confused with something else because. And I don't know how or why, but I just remember hearing about it. And then I I remember when I first saw it, someone said, oh, yeah, it's the one about the teacher. And it was like, oh, it's about a teacher. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's about a teacher and blah, 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 blah. And I saw it. And I, I think I was in college when I finally saw it. And um, I remember just being blown away. But it was like from when I remember hearing about it as a kid all the way up to when I finally saw it in college, I kind of thought it was something completely different. And what it was, I can't tell you. I don't know if it was, I, I'm pretty sure my parents saw it and folks maybe came back and said, oh my God, it was a great movie, but maybe they kind of talked, talked maybe what I just keyed in on was when they just said, yeah, there's some really bad parts and some parts that are hard to watch. And maybe in there, kind of hearing them talk about it, that's what I fixated on. So, yeah. so I know that doesn't make much sense, but it, I wish I could tell you, oh, yeah, I got this movie confused with this other movie. But it was just like, when I finally saw it, I kind of was always avoiding it because it was like, you know, I don't know if I want to see this. This is going to be kind of some heavy-duty kind of stuff. And then when I finally saw it, I'm like, well, it is a heavy movie, but it's great. It's fantastic. So I am pretty sure I saw this in college, um, maybe even after, when I finally, you know, sat down and saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of it's kind of weird, but I don't remember why. But it was just kind of a mistaken identity thing for me. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, originally, I mean, for me, Robin Williams is such a, just such a big part of this movie. And um, originally, I think that when this was, when they were kind of starting to put this together, um, there were a couple of different people. I, I was reading this earlier on IMDb, but there were a couple of different people that were originally meant to be in that teacher role, in that John Keating role. Um, the original apparently was Dustin Hoffman. Okay, that that's interesting. That would have made oh, it a, a different totally movie. See that though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can see it. Yeah. That would have been kind of cool. This was better, yeah. but that would have been cool. Right. Right. So Dustin Hoffman, and then originally when there was a different director attached to the movie, uh, Liam Neeson. Oh, interesting. Was going now, to be in the that film. one. I'm not sure I buy, but I think a lot of that has mm-hmm. to do with the roles Liam Neeson's had of late. Yeah. I think back then he had. A little more, a little less. You've kidnapped my daughter. A little more dramatic role. Right. It's not so much when the kid talks back to him in class. He's not going to stand up from his desk and say, "I will find you." I have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> one of them is grading. The other one is cutting your throat. Now sit down and show me your barbaric yelp. Yeah. yeah. Carpe diem sees that what it, I don't know what the Latin is for throat, like sees the throat. Maybe we could have changed it to that. I mean, that would be more of a modern Liam Neeson, but yeah, I, I get your point. Yeah, no. So that I, for me, when I saw those, I was like, yeah, I just, I mean, those, they sound interesting, especially the Dustin Hoffman one. I could see that, but I just like, I can't, I can't separate this movie from Robin Williams. Like to me, this is just so much his movie that I really cannot, I have a hard time picturing anybody else in that role. Well, he really pulls down the, the like, unappreciated, underdog, anti-estab... I mean, you look at what he does in Good Morning Vietnam, and you look at what he does in this, he really personifies that kind of... the one seeing it from the perspective of the under... Yeah, listen, maybe I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Under, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just his looks, the way he delivers his lines, the way he brings that character to life. It really, he's good at that. Yeah. So. Yeah, just, I, there are a couple of things about this movie. Um, you know, just the, the whole, uh, just that whole atmosphere of this, you know, this type of school and, and what they're training these boys to grow up and be and, and the kind of, stifling of any kind of creativity or thinking outside the box or that kind of stuff. Um, you know, not that any of the schools I went to were like that, but I, I think I had a little bit of a connection to this anyway, because living in England, I went to an all boys school, uh, for a few years. So I already kind of had that sense of, I was seeing something that looked familiar to me. Um, and then I feel like I had, you know, not necessarily as my English teacher, but I had a couple of teachers in my school in England that maybe more than the school wanted them to, they, uh, they kind of encouraged a little bit more free thinking and, and a little bit more outside the box kind of stuff. And they were the, the teachers everybody loved. Mm-hmm. And I know that I was reading somewhere that Robin Williams said that he really enjoyed doing this movie and, and he kind of based the character of John Keating on the teachers he wished he had. I, I don't believe he ever said, um, that I don't believe he ever said he had a teacher like this, 
but he kind of took all the things that he wished he had had in a teacher, or maybe some of the little positive bits and pieces that he had from teachers over the years. And that's what this character became. But yeah, I, I think, I think one of the things that I really liked about this one was, like I said earlier, one of the first times I had seen him in a serious role, like where it's not the manic Robin Williams that we're kind of used to from a lot of his earlier stuff and a lot of his stuff in the eighties, but this is more, you know, kind of this and good morning Vietnam were him, maybe for lack of a better term, calming down and trying to, you know, expand his horizons by doing some more serious dramatic stuff. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, I, do you guys have, you know, in terms of, uh, you okay. As the movie goes on, I was going to ask about like favorite scene or something like that, but, um, just a, a real quick kind of recap of, of what the story is, is we start with, uh, for anybody who might not have seen it or, or doesn't remember most of it. Um, we start with the boys coming in for a new school school year and we have uh, a very shy student Todd Anderson is starting his senior year at Welton Academy um, and he is brand new and so he is assigned uh, Neil Perry as his roommate and kind of you know gets in with this with this group of boys but he's fairly shy so uh, you know it's kind of taking him a while to get acclimated here and you can see right away this is a very kind of stodgy very you know, New England prep school. Um, and uh, the, obviously the teachers and the headmaster are, are not about to teach the students to do a whole lot of uh, free thinking or a whole lot of uh, creative type work, anything like that. And uh, they quickly run into the new English teacher who is John Keating. And he is very much, um, very, very much the uh, kind of free thinking and, and you don't do things the traditional way. I had been going back a little while ago. I'd been going back and rewatching some of the old episodes of the office. And I remembered one of the episodes had a scene where Michael Scott goes to business school and he's giving a presentation at a business school. Mm -hmm. And he tells one of the students, he's let me see your textbook. And he starts ripping pages out of the textbook because mm -hmm. he's trying to do the whole, um, the whole John Keating thing from dead poet society. Mm -hmm. He's like, you will not learn business from this book. And he's just tearing pages out. Now I know that was expensive, but it'll be okay. But uh, so we get, as the movie goes on, uh, just to kind of a, as a real quick recap, um, we get the boys start up a uh, club called the Dead Poets Society, which they find out that Keating was a member when he was a student at Welton uh, or Helton, as the boys call it. And um, they kind of start this club and, and this is kind of their their way of rebelling a little bit against the authority of the school. And um then as you get a little bit further on, you get the sense that one of the, one of the main boys, Neil Perry, he does not want to follow, you know, his father's plan for him. Uh, he wants to, he wants to act, you know, he wants to, you know, his dad wants him to be, I think a doctor, uh, wants him to go to an Ivy league school to become a doctor. And, um, instead he really just wants to act on stage and he does get the role of puck, in um, kind of a community theater type production of Midsummer Night's Dream. And I think his father, um, you know, just the overbearingness of his father played by Kurtwood Smith, who's just, you know, if you ever want an overbearing father, that's a great actor to have him play it. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately and sadly, Neil ends up committing suicide because his dad basically says he's going to take him out of school and roll him into a military academy. Um, and 
he just he can't stand up to his father so instead he decides to take his own life and and that's when everything kind of falls apart in the movie that the the um some of the other boys blame their english teacher for neil's death um and so they kind of they rat on everybody else and the whole thing falls apart and obviously uh, at the end keating then is fired and ends up having to leave the school and um you kind of end with uh you end with something that had been a, a piece or a quote that they had talked about earlier in the movie where Todd, the very shy boy ends up standing on his desk and salutes Keating and says, Oh, captain, my captain. And then you have, you know, a good portion of the class starts to do the same thing. They stand on top of their desk and say, Oh, captain, my captain, as they, uh, as he leaves. And then he says, thank you. And, and walks out the door and that's the end of the movie. So, um, yeah, just there's so many great lines from this movie as he's teaching. I feel like every scene where he's teaching the boys something, there's just all kinds of stuff that you can quote from those scenes. It's it's kind of like when I think about him in Good Morning Vietnam. There's very few times that when he gets on the radio, there's not something that you can quote there. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie is no different. Like there's there's some memorable line, and I, and I think I looked somewhere that this movie has at least two or three of of the top 100 movie quotes of all time. Mm-hmm. I think I saw somewhere. Um, is there a scene in particular when you think of this movie? Is there a scene in particular that's most memorable to you, or that you like best? Um, I liked when he had him marching around the, the courtyard and was talking to them about conformity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they all start walking together, and he says, "There it is, there it is. See conformity, and we all did this." And then he says, "In the line I like is he says, and all of you that think you would have done it different, why were you clapping?" I just thought, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that's that's a cool little. You know, that's a cool little lesson. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I Obviously, the scene at the end where they're all standing on the desk is the iconic one that you picture. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's... I think that scene is even showed as part of a montage when, all the time. You know, they, they just show that quick pan clip of all the kids standing on the desk. Um. But if you exclude that because it's, you know, too well known, um, there's a scene <laughs> when they first get into the cave and they first form the Dead Poet Society and they're reading from, from those books for the first time. And, they're, and you can sort of see them start to realize what this club really is. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a really cool one for me. Yeah. I like when the kid does the poem with a saxophone. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> I kind of figured you'd like that part. Yeah, it was slick. I mean, in the be- and, it, and it's funny, and they called it, I mean, the beginning, it was just kind of, he was just making obnoxious sounds, you know, and it was just like, okay, but then he, he kind of like fit it. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Cause it was kind of, and boy, you know, you're, you're the literary guys or John, I know it could maybe tell me better, but I mean, it was almost like the beginning of like, you know, beat poetry and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah which I know figured heavily into, you know, a little bit of that jazz kind of free jazz kind of club thing. And they were kind of representing that. Yeah. He found a little jazz groove there on that sax and Mm -hmm. it was cool. Charlie renames himself Nuwanda. Mm -hmm. And and (laughs) who is Nuwanda? Is there some significance there or that I, I'm just an intellectual bod and I'm not picking up on it or... Um, 
as far as I know, no, I don't know. As far as I know, it's just from that movie, but yeah, I think it's just a um, trying to think of another movie where somebody does it where they they start going by a different name to show their rebellion, but that's I think all it really was, yeah. Yeah, there's there's so many scenes in this movie that I just I really enjoy every single time that Robin Williams is on screen teaching. Um, you know, a, a lot of times when the other teachers or the headmaster are you know talking to him about something, and he's got these little side comments that if they're not quite paying attention, they don't realize he's he's kind of insulted them a little bit. Um, just every every time something like that happens is just is is gold in this movie. Um, I do, uh, I do really like the, you know, some of the different times where like when he's having him rip the paper out of the, out of the book, that was always fun. Um, there were times with several textbooks that I had that I wanted to do that with the kids. Um, but I also wanted to keep my job. So I, I did not do that with the kids. Uh, I do like the scene when Todd and Neil are, uh, standing outside and he's talking about the Christmas gift that his parents got him. Or no, not Christmas gift. It was his birthday. Yeah, it was like- yeah, it was his birthday. He said, "Yeah, today's my birthday," and and he's like, "Oh, happy birthday!" He's like, "What'd you get?" And he's like, oh, "I got this desk set." And he's like, "Isn't that the same desk set?" And he's like, "Yeah, they gave me the same thing last year." Mm-hmm. Maybe they maybe they thought you needed another one, and then he starts to get upset, and he's like, "Well, they they weren't thinking at all. They don't really. I didn't like it the first time they got it for me. I didn't." And uh, Neil picks it up, and he's like, "He's like, well, you know, I." this is a really great death set. I don't think you quite understand. I mean, it, you know, who would want a, who would not want a death set as wonderful this. And then he's like, you know, it, the shape of this, it's, it's fairly aerodynamic. Don't you think Mm -hmm. you can feel it? This thing wants to fly. And then they throw it. He hands it to him and he's like, here we go. The world's first unmanned flying desk set. And they throw it off the roof and everything goes everywhere. And they're kind of like looking down at everything. And he goes, well, don't worry. You'll get another one next year. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So I, I have maybe a, a bit of a, a bit of a tough question before we start to move on into our five questions for this one. Um, do you think, so we'll, we'll get serious here for a second. Do you think that the John Keating character is responsible for Neil Perry's death. Cause certainly yeah. the, certainly the authorities like the school authorities, Neil Perry's dad, they blame him for Neil's death. And ultimately that's one of the many reasons why he's fired. Um, but I think we, as the audience are supposed to feel a little conflicted about that. So what's, what say you? There no. Is no conflict. No, I, I didn't. Until you said that, I... Sorry, Bo, I think I cut across you there. I was... No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't really see that as... I didn't really see that as uh, in any way, shape, or form his, his fault. Um, I mean, if anything, it was, it was the dad mm-hmm. who was pushing him. I yeah. mean, even the kid going to the play... Um, even the kid doing the play. I, now, correct me. I might be way wrong. I thought the kid decided to do the play like well before Keating's cl- classes kind of had their influence on him. 
I, I think I, I remember him talking later and him saying, you've got to talk to your father about this. Well, I don't think Do even if he... Maybe, because I, I feel like he didn't even have the inkling of the, that being something that he would want to do until he was inspired by this teacher. I might be wrong. I, I might have to go back and, and rewatch that just to make sure, but. Yeah, I, I think, I think. Yeah. Okay. So I could, be, I, I'd probably off with that, but again, I, I really think that it was just a matter of the parents wanting to um, look, not blame themselves and, you know, blame someone else for them really screwing up with their kid, and then the school looking, you know, that covers the butt, and uh, he was supposed to be the young, and you know, the contrary opinions. But even that, and I'm kind of rambling here, but even that, it wasn't like, I mean, sure, he tore the front page out of the book, but it wasn't even like he had real, you know. It wasn't even like he was really, at least in my mind, challenging convention. It's just that he was cha- he was teaching in a more energetic, make it come alive. Don't see these people as you know, dead poets and just words on a page, but see the emotion behind it. You know, get back to what this music or music. Get back to what this poetry was all about, and what these words were really saying. But it wasn't like he you know was turning around and saying. Don't read Shakespeare. Read this other book. You get what I'm saying. So I mean, yeah, all he yeah. was doing was just, you know, it, it it wasn't like he was. He was challenging convention in that everything was being taught in a very stodgy dog, stodgy dogmatic manner. He was getting to know the kids, and, you know, working with them and 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 getting them to see the passion and have passion for what they do. Basically, what t- in today's day and age we would call good teaching practice. Right. I don't think he did, but John made some good points about the influence that he exerted. I just think that showing someone another door is never a reason that they're going to kill themselves. Um, so that's why I think he's not responsible. Even even if you knew, now I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Even if you knew that the person's father was the way that he was and was that domineering, would you still push? Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting one. That's my only thought. Cause I, I agree with you. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't I hold think... him. I wouldn't hold him responsible, but knowing, you know, if I was in a situation where I was the teacher and I knew that a particular student had a parent that was as intense as Mr. Perry in this movie as red foreman. Right. Um, I, I would probably find ways to encourage their creativity, but also because I don't know that, that Keating really, I know there were a couple of times that Keating kind of told the boys, yeah, you know, you better maybe better back off just a little bit or, you know, know when to rebel and when not to rebel. Um, but I also kind of feel like he didn't really, it was almost kind of like with, with a little wink and a nod. It was like, Hey, go, Hey boys, just know when not to get caught. Okay. So in some ways, while I don't, while I don't think I would hold him responsible for his death, I think that there are some ways in which he was a little, a little reckless with his trying to get the boys to think creatively in that time and place. Now, obviously I agree with, 
you know, like that. He is the kind of teacher that I always wanted and hoped that I was always wanted to be. And so I, I, I agree with everything he did, but given that time period and that family situation and all that, I can see where some of the responsibility might fall onto him. Given the time period. Yes. I think I, I adjusted for the time period. Maybe you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we do have five questions for this movie. And now I will say, um, I, I, I think I'm just going to edit this together this way. Uh, I did. I was sitting down with Jeff to record something earlier. And so he and I already recorded his uh, responses to his five questions. So I'm going to edit those in a little bit later. So we'll get to hear what Jeff's responses oh, good. were. Good, good, good. Um, so we'll, we'll have that. We'll have that piece of it. And I told him if he wants to call into the, to the love line and, and share a little bit more on dead poet society, he can, he can totally do that too. And we'll add in there. So, so the first response you hear in each of these five questions will be a pre-recorded response from Jeff. And then we will all go into our answers for the five questions. So he asks each traveler five questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. You've got to ask yourself one question. Why are you asking me for? I don't know. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. And may God have mercy on your soul. All right, five questions this time around. If you haven't listened to us before, our five questions are five loosely related questions to the movie that we are talking about. So uh, we'll try to do these semi-rapid fire. We're not going to spend too much time on these, but uh, we'll go through and we'll give each of our answers to these five questions. Question number one, who was your favorite teacher growing up? It's <sighs> a tough question. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about this. When I hear growing up, I think... Uh, like elementary school and uh, middle school, that age range. My second grade teacher, Miss Hostchild, was phenomenal. She was so caring and so empathetic and treated everything, um, <clears throat> everything that the students were concerned about or thought about with a level of importance that really made it feel as though we were on the same level. And likewise, she had no problem telling us, um, you know, like when she would say, wow, I, you know, she wouldn't yell at us. Mm -hmm. She was more of a, uh, like, you know, just say, you know, you just need to stop talking now. And people would because we respected her so much. I think because she respected all of us. So Miss Hauschild was definitely, um, might, might be my favorite teacher from, um, elementary through middle school. Uh, you know, I had some other really good teachers. My kindergarten teacher, Miss Beale, who I got to sub in her class by the time I uh, I graduated with my teaching degree. Oh, nice. I did a, 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 some sub work. Oh, and, cool. and I applied to sub in that district. And lo and behold, I became her substitute a number of times. That's cool. That was really cool. I got to be there the year that she uh, had her retirement party. So it was really neat. Oh, that's cool. The kids all made shirts. Uh, all their current kids had shirts. You know, I was in Miss Beale's 40th mm -hmm. kindergarten class. I did the math, and I made a shirt of my own. Mm -hmm. I was in Miss Beale's 17th kindergarten oh, class. That's awesome. It was really neat. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Miss Hauschild, second grade, Miss Beale, kindergarten. Okay. A couple of high school and mm -hmm. college professors in there as well, but there you go. 
I'll, I'll say like probably one of my most recent teachers was my trumpet professor in college. And he was uh, a mentor and it wasn't just, you know, learning to play the trumpet, but he was kind of the guy that really, you know, he was also our jazz uh, studies professor. And he was the guy that really kind of got my head on straight, really all the philosophies and in, in teaching music and all that, that kind of came before he, he kind of put it into, he wrapped it all up and kind of, you know, focused it. And um, he was one that really was able to teach any student that was in front of him and um, take them, allow them to bloom wherever they were planted. Let's, I'll put it that way. Nice. And uh, he was um, uh, a fantastic professor, a wonderful, wonderful human being. And, uh, he was, you know, my mentor and he, uh, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, my, my trumpet professor in college. For me, it was probably my electronics teacher in high school, Myron okay. Conkel. Nice. He was just the right mix of old school teacher and and um, real person that I think just spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And I really learned a lot from him, some that I can't repeat because he was old school enough that you just don't say that anymore. Right. But, uh, right. <laughs> but you know, I, I feel like I learned so much in that class. Um just about and not just about you know voltage and wattage don't get me wrong it was it was great yeah how about you john i hmm, this one i had a really tough time with this question um because part of me wanted to answer i had my my math teacher in my school in england uh he he's actually the the person that got me hooked on comic books um and he i think was he, I think was kind of closest to the persona that, you know, when I took on the persona of the teacher in the classroom, uh, it was kind of, I think modeled a little bit after him, his classroom always had like comic book, uh, superhero posters up on the wall. He would, uh, he'd always joke around with us in class, but when it was time to get serious, it was time to get serious. Um, you know, he always tried to hold us to, you know, high standards, you know, he, he, he joked around with us, but he also wouldn't let you get away with much. Like he, he held you up to, you know, this is what I expect of you guys and, and really pushed us. Um, he was also, he always seemed kind of crazy to us too. Like he, um, you know, he wore musical socks all the time. Um, yeah, he just was, was kind of a crazy guy. And, and actually a little bit of the sad part is I guess he got so stressed out, um, towards the end of the time that I was there at the the school in England, he got so stressed out that he actually, um, like had these horrible back spasms and he collapsed in class one day and he couldn't get up off the ground. And we all thought he was joking. So the entire class of students is like laughing and, and we didn't realize like he's actually in pain and he's hurting and we didn't realize cause we all thought it was kind of a joke cause that was just his personality to, you know, joke like that. Mm-hmm. So it took several minutes and then we all felt horrible afterwards cause they had to take him out in a, in an ambulance and take him to the hospital. And he, he was fine after that. He was, you know, he was a little calmer than he had been uh, the first few years, but um, you know, so he was always a really memorable teacher I had my science teacher in England looked exactly like Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Oh, 
that's cool. Um, had the white lab coat on all the time, had the like crazy grayish white hair. Um, he was a really fun guy too. Mr. Pym was his name. Um, had a writing teacher in college that was great. Uh, you know, I, I ended up taking a couple of classes with him and one of them was like a independent study where it was just me and him meeting once a month to kind of go over some work that I was doing for his class. And, um, the one teacher though, probably my favorite teacher and, and, uh, my wife, Sharon, this was one of her answers too, cause he really, he was just a great teacher. And I actually never had him as a teacher. I had him as both a football and wrestling coach. Um, but Mr. Leone, um, was one of the teachers at our high school and he just, I don't know. He, he just was a really, he was a really nice guy. Like he's a really nice guy, really, you know, helped out he's, a lot of kids and what are you gonna he's, say he's still there but he is retiring soon is he still there yep i have tried i was curious to know what was going on with him and so i tried to like google him and i tried to look stuff up at one point and i couldn't find anything so i didn't know if he was still there but he's he's oh. really he's still at libertyville oh yeah oh something tells me he will be pleased to know that you had trouble googling him <laughs> i think so when, yeah, he was he he was always very he was always very quirky and um yeah, he was an interesting guy, but um still yeah, a quirky interesting guy too. That's, that's kind of what I figured. I mean, that's not the kind of personality that really goes away over time. So What 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 did he teach? Uh he was teaching at the time he was teaching earth science. Okay. Uh, I don't remember if he was teaching anything else. He might have been I uh, know he wasn't doing driver's ed. Um he was teaching earth science and I know that he also was coaching the sophomore wrestling team. I believe it was. And he was also, um, sophomore football coach. Might've been freshman football coach too. Either way, he was, he was a coach. He was one of my coaches for two different sports. Um, yeah, I don't think he's coaching anymore. Okay. Huh? I had no idea he was still there. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, he was, he was just really, he was just really, he was kind of a, he, he came across as kind of this sometimes gruff kind of quirky, weird guy. Um, but at the same time, he was probably the nicest teacher of any of the teachers that I had in high school. Um, just was really nice to, when, when we were in high school, Sharon's dad passed away. Um, and just, he was really, really just nice to her about, you know, I know you got to be in school and we'll get you through this time, you know, just kind of helping prioritize things, you know, like, yeah, school's important, but you also got some stuff you need to go through. So, um, and he was my, he was my wrestling coach when all that happened too. And he knew that the two of us were dating. And so he just was, he was really supportive and just, he's the kind of, he's the kind of teacher that you hope that you would get like somebody who is not just a teacher and, and wouldn't just, you know, be there to educate you, but also just be somebody who would give you sound advice on life and show you an example of how somebody should be. Mm-hmm. So even though he was never actually one of my classroom teachers, I, I probably would list him as one of my favorites. All right. Uh, question number two, did you ever rebel or goof off in school? No, that's a boring answer. It is, but I was very, <laughs> One, I grew up Catholic, so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of guilt involved. And, sure. Um, two. Any yardsticks? Not that I recall. Okay. 
Uh, I'm picturing the scene from the beginning of Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, both my parents are teachers. Okay. Cool. And, that would be why. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I, I just had, and I knew that they talked to my teachers. Mm-hmm. And, and especially now being a teacher, <clears throat> the understanding that teachers have with each other, mm-hmm. where very little can be said, but very much can be understood. Mm-hmm. I was just always too scared to, to be the, the goof off. You and I don't think it had any classes together, so I don't know that I ever would have seen if you did. We didn't. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, you kind of have to. That, that might be a that might be a good thing that I know there's no evidence against me. Right. You have to define rebelling mm-hmm. and goofing off. I mean, I was a good kid, probably to a fault, but at the same time, I did sort of quasi work for the school mm-hmm. my junior and senior year, so I had access to keys to the building. So. Uh, I didn't cut any class, but I also hung out on the roof when I wasn't supposed to, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay. But nothing like jumping out the window of my <laughs> eight-hour Spanish class on the first day of spring or whenever yeah. that was. So I don't know who you're talking about because I took French. So clearly you're talking about someone else. Romance language is a romance language, buddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is. Yeah, which actually I had tried. I have a copy of it in my office at school. Um, I was trying to Google real fast and see if I could find it. I, I was actually mentioned in a an article in the Chicago Tribune because uh, yeah. a, a teacher commented about, yeah, we had a student jump out the window one time. I believe I've seen that article. Have you seen that article? Yeah. You know, I always said, I always said that someday that, if I was. If, if, if you know where that article is, you should forward it to Coach Eggert. Okay. Because I don't know if you know this, but he is writing a book. Oh, is he really? A History of Liberty Hill High School. He would be the person to write it. And it is due to be out soon. The last time I spoke to him, he was working on some pictures with his editor and, and okay. some things. So might be funny to work hmm. that in somehow. I, I haven't seen much of the book to know yeah. what the final product's going to look like. But. Huh. Do you, will it be one of those, you know how they have like at Barnes and Noble, they have those community books that all have like similar looking covers. Bigger than that. This is going to be coffee table size. Oh, okay. Okay. Is his image. Huh. Okay. Well, that's cool. Originally I was hoping it would be out for our 20th reunion, but I don't think that's. Yeah. Realistic. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. So that was mine jumping out the window. Um, all right. Well, Pat, what about you? Did you rebel in any way? Not really. I mean, Were you a troublemaker? Not really. No, no, I just, I mean, everything was kind of like, I was all good for me. So, I mean, I was just trying to muddle through life. I didn't need to go seeking trouble out and all that kind of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. there was one time at uh, the Boy Scout camp we were at, we kind of all marched off. There was a Wonder Hostess Wonder Bread outlet factory, like right next to the camp. And we all took a uh, a hike and you know five bucks got you more than enough um sweets and candies and twinkies and i mean you could get nice. like 20 twinkies for a nickel or something and uh that was like an unauthorized hike and so we got in a little bit of trouble for that but i mean it wasn't like you know no one got hurt and you know or kicked out or any of that kind of stuff so yeah not really i just kind of did my thing and that was that yeah Sorry, I, I wish I had something saucy to tell you. No, that's that's fine. 
That's fine. All right. Uh, maybe if we ever create the podcast, you know, 30 something after dark, if we have other stories that yeah. couldn't be told on the regular podcast, then. Yeah, maybe. All right. All right. Question number three. Do you have a favorite poem or poet? Yes. A lot of them. <laughs> Can you narrow it down to one? Uh, I really like, um, well, one of my favorite poems is called Sunday Morning by Wallace Stevens. Um, but <clears throat> I like Emily Dickinson because I could not stop for death. I think is such a great, uh, great poem. Um, the Raven, mm-hmm. brilliant poem. Um, yeah, I just, that was. I mean, that was too difficult mm-hmm. of a question, really, for me. But yeah. Sunday morning, I, I came across when I took an American Lit course in college, and. Just really, really dug, really dug that uh, that poem, and just really the idea of um, appreciating the beauty around you. And one of the things that I got out of it was, you know, questioning whether or not it was necessary to attend a formal church service on a Sunday morning, or if you can find the same solitude and peace and understanding by taking time to pause and just look at. The world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite a debate in my uh, in my American Lit class, but I really, I, I really like it. I'm gonna just jump right in there and say I don't. And much like art, it's something that I wish I read more. And I know the, the I've got the power to do it, but um, you know this movie really makes me want to read more uh, poetry and look up all these guys they were talking about and and you know delve into it so no i i don't have a favorite poet um or poetry or any of that kind of thing uh however it's an area i hope that you know if we ever get another movie about this or when this movie comes up on its 40th anniversary i can say i've started to read poetry and this is what i'm into yeah yeah i think i do it's more from when i was a kid and i might be butchering the guy's name but it's um Jack Prelutsky, I think is his name. Okay. Um, the the one that everyone remembers that was his was the homework one that Apple was using most recently. Um, I don't remember the whole poem even, but I have a couple of his books downstairs. And I remember really liking those when I was growing up. I feel like... I feel like I've used that poem. A lot of people have. It's it's one that gets used a lot in schools and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the other homework poem, is it homework? Oh, homework. Yeah. Yes. I hate you. You stink. I wish I could wash you away in the in sink. The sink. Mm-hmm. Yep. The other one I really like, but it's in the movie, so I so I skipped past it. And I, as embarrassing as it is, because I skipped past it, I didn't even look up who wrote it. Um. I think I even mentioned it in the movie, but I, I skipped. I just never went back to check. Um, the one he references in the movie where the powerful play goes on and you mm-hmm. will contribute a verse. I've always yeah. loved that one. And I had forgot. I hadn't read it in years mm-hmm. until, embarrassingly enough, Apple used it again. Okay. Recently, within the last five years or so. Yeah, it's a Walt Whitman. That's, see, there we go. Yeah. 
I like I've always loved that poem, but it's one of those things that doesn't sit in my brain very well for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you like that, that's from his uh, Leaves of Grass collection of poetry. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, probably okay. more famous. Yeah. Yeah. Or most famous. Yeah. Yeah. And you, sir? Well, uh, again, sure you have a few being an English language arts professor. Well, yeah. I mean, having. Having this been my my major and my job for a while, and I'm sitting in my library right now with a whole bunch of different anthologies of poetry and all kinds of other stuff sitting around me right now. Um, I was trying to think of how to narrow this down, uh, and I did narrow it down to one poet and actually one particular poem that I really like. Uh, it was kind of tough, though, because there's a lot of Shakespeare's poetry that I really like. Love Edgar Allan Poe. Um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of different, a uh, lot of different other poets that I could have gone through and, and could have picked. And, um, but I decided to go with John Donne mm. and my, probably my favorite poem ever is his poem. No man is an Island. You guys heard that one? No, this one. I feel like sometimes this one gets pulled out. There's, um, well, and actually the, the, there's a very famous phrase at the very end of the poem that gets, you know, has been put into the vernacular and was used by um, uh, Hemingway and, and all kinds of other people. It's actually a real short one. So I'll actually just read it to you. Uh, it's and, and John Donne, uh, hopefully I'm getting this story right. Cause yeah. I, I'm just doing it off of memory, but um, he, I believe was sick and, and was either, well, thought he was dying. And so he was laying in his bed and he could hear the church bells tolling outside. And he thought that maybe he had died and that he was like in his final moments of life and the church bell was tolling to ring out his death. And so he, when he recovered, he wrote this poem about, you know, how he was worried that he had died and, and really it, it they might've been funeral bells for someone else. But when he recovered, he was like, well, even though it wasn't me that was dying, it felt like I was dying. So therefore when another person dies, that should, that should make me feel like there's less of mankind in the world or something like that. So, so his poem is no man is an Island. And I always keep coming back to this one. Whenever there's anything in, you know, without getting political, whenever there's anything in the world where people are not looking out for each other or people are, pulling some of this every man for himself kind of junk. Um, I always come back to this one a lot. So the, the text of the poem is no man is an Island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less as well as if a promontory were as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. So cool. that, is, that is one of my, it's, it's real short. Uh, it's one of his, he's got a collection of uh, uh, poems that he calls meditations. Um, it's just really short, but there are so many times where if I find that I am being particularly selfish about something or people out in the world are being particularly selfish about things, or just, there's just this sense of, you know, an us against them mentality sometimes then I always come back to this poem. I'm like, look, it, it's all, we're all part of the same. 
like no matter what group you come from, we ultimately, when you look at it, we're all part of the same. So whether this person is, whether this person looks different than you do, believes different from you do, it's all part of humanity. And yes, we can have our differences, but when something bad happens to one of us, we maybe should keep in mind that that is something bad happening to mankind and remember it that way. So, so there's my, I I will get off my soapbox now, but that is my favorite poem. Right on. Cool. Uh, He also has another really, really good poem called the flea. That's probably one of his more famous ones, but yeah, I, I would say he's probably one of my famous poets, favorite poets out of all of them. All right. Uh, question number four, question number four is, would you rather, so now we've had several movies in the last couple of years that have dealt with teachers inspiring their students through one form or another. So here's a question for you. Would you rather be taught by John Keating from Dead Poet Society, Jaime Escalante from Stand and Deliver, or Freddie Shoup from Summer School? John Keating. Okay. Why him? I agree, but there, why There's him? no follow-up of why. You just <laughs> I, I, know, I know, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I think he's the type of teacher that really would have I I would have done well with because he encouraged creativity and thinking outside the box and looking at things from a different point of view and considering ideas from different angles. I feel as though as a student that's really where I did well was being able to do that. So being in an environment that fostered that I think that's exactly who I would want to have as a teacher. Shoop. Okay. It's the sort of laid-back atmosphere I need in my life. Okay. I say Keating from this movie. I'm also going to go Keating. Like I, I think I think Shoop would be fun, but at the same time, I think that I think that to uh, at at a certain point, the laid-back attitude might drive me a little nuts. Like if it's that laid-back, if I knew that there was something I had to get done, it might I might be okay with the laid-back for a while, but then I'd be like, okay, we we really got to actually do this. At some point that and I'm still weirded out by the fact that he had a student living with him. Well, I didn't say it was right. I just said, that's no, I the kind of yeah. guy I want to hang out with. That's the teacher you want. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Number five, what is your earliest memory of performing something, whether it's on stage, a concert, a sporting event, whatever it might be? Well, as you know, I, I've you've done, done, you've done a lot on stage. I've so. done my bit of, of theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, my earliest memory of performing probably be like a school concert being in the in the chorus in school and and, you know whatever medley we were doing of uh i don't even know what Mm -hmm. uh first first stage show i ever did was damn yankees when i was in high school so that's definitely a, a special memory for me baseball okay how old were you oh gosh Six. Okay. Did you win? Um, I don't know if we won the first time, the first game, but there was winning to be done. Okay. Okay. We didn't suck. I remember that. Okay. There you go. So that's something. There you go. Pat, what about you? Do you remember your first? Probably time? like, you know, a uh, band concert in fourth grade, or I'd say, you know, our band director did recorders. He would, you know, for the year before you started band, like so in third grade, you did uh, recorders, not part of general music, but he would teach just like a, a recorder ensemble. And I think I remember that 
um, that first time that I played. Yeah. So nice. Uh, the first time that I performed something on stage, uh, I was God. Hmm. All and, right. every, and, and everything has been downhill since then. I was going to say, how do you, how do you beat that? I was, we were having a church play and, uh, the play was the story of the Exodus. And so it was the story of Moses. So of course the children's play is called let's go with Mo. Um, I'm sure it was a literary masterpiece and all of the kids, these were kind of, I think these were like the first through maybe fifth grade kids. And so they were casting all the different parts and I was totally convinced. I was like, I, I want to be the Pharaoh. Like, I think that would be the coolest part. You get to wear the costume. And see, even back then I was into the costumes. Um, I was like, I get to wear the costume. I get to be in charge. I get to be kind of like the bad guy. That's kind of cool. The only problem was, I think that maybe the person directing the play, their fifth grade or even sixth grade, much older uh, child was ended up being the Pharaoh. So already I, I, I wasn't too keen on that. However, come to find out that as a third grader, I had a deeper voice than any other kid in the entire church. So they decided, well, we need someone to be the voice of God with the burning bush. So you are Morgan Freeman. So basically, yes. So basically I was Morgan Freeman. They stuck me uh, behind a kind of like a, a lectern and they actually hid me behind there because they only wanted to show they had created this kind of burning bush with a light inside of it. Uh, and whenever that would come on, I was hidden behind this. I was kind of like the Wizard of Oz hidden behind the curtain. And uh, my line was Moses, Moses. And so that was my, my first line. Well, the first time we practiced it, I had never actually spoken into a microphone before, so I got way too close to it. And the first time I did my Moses, it made all of the, like the entire room shook. And, and all of the people running the play, they were like, yes, this is the voice of God that we need. And it's like, I'm sure my mom was off to the side being like, don't let it go. <laughs> any encouragement at all from anything you have to say. Don't bury yourself in the park. Right. Right. So, so that's what I've always said. I was God in third grade and it's, it's been downhill from there. All right. Well, I think it's going to do it for our five questions and for dead poet society. So, uh, if you've got anything else you want to add, if you've, if you want to tell us a little bit about what you like about this movie, if you want to answer any of our five questions, please feel free to give us a call on our voicemail line. It's eight, seven, two, three, five, six, six, eight, four, three. Uh, or eight seven two three five movie, if you want to do it that way. If you got the little numbers on your on your telephone buttons there, uh, we're at thirty podcastcom at thirty podcast on Twitter and most of the other social media outlets. Um, if you want to find out more about the show, check us out on iTunes, any other place that you get your podcasts. We will be there. Um, our next episodes, we've done a whole bunch of recording of different things over the last few days, so I think. Nobody quote me on this, but I think our next episode may actually be the recordings that Jeff and I did to talk about the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge park that's coming to Disney. So mm. we, we took a couple of days to kind of digest all of the stuff that we had heard over the last few months and then all the stuff that was announced at Star Wars Celebration this last weekend. Um, so I believe that our next episode will be that one coming out and then following that one will be our episode on driving miss Daisy. So 
that Driving Miss Daisy will be our, will be our next 80s movie. Um, but our next episode may be our discussion of Jeff had like eight pages of notes that he had taken on the Galaxy's Edge Park. So we needed to get that recorded before he started writing a novel. Good move. Beyond that, uh, in May, we've got coming up the movies we missed. So I've got most of our movies. I'm still waiting on Dennis to make a decision on which movie he wants to go with. Um, for Pat, I've got Cannonball Run. Uh, and possibly, we, we, if we got some time, we can also talk Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, for Bo, I've got the Dream Team. For me, I think I've narrowed it down to, and I'm, I had trouble with this one. I was like, do I do Star Wars? Because we didn't really talk the other Star Wars movies. I think I'm going to do American Werewolf in London. Nice. Because I like that one, and I feel like I feel like Star Wars would kind of be a given. So, um, I will be inspired by John Keating, think outside the box, and say an American Werewolf in London. Uh, and then Jeff has chosen E.T. as his movie. So so over the course of May, those will be the movies we're doing. We're going back to movies that we may have missed uh, in the podcast as we were doing the other 80s movies, because after this year, we are in the 90s. That's not to say we can't go back sometime, but um, for the most part, we will be done with the 80s at the end of this year. So we're going back and hitting some that we did not get to cover the first time around. And then coming up very soon, uh, at some point within the next couple of weeks, uh, I am be, I'm going to go see Avengers Endgame when it comes out. So I'm sure we will try to get some kind of a show in there to talk about that because that is the wrapping up of the last 10 plus years of Marvel movies. Uh, and I did read an article today that said definitively this is the end of this stage of Marvel movies. Um, so, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. It is th- over three hours long. Um, I did also read somewhere today that somebody leaked some very revealing footage of the movie. So they, the directors and Marvel and, you know, Disney have come out and told people, please don't share it. Like it's, we don't, or if you don't want to see it, like stay off the internet because we don't want to give away any of the big secrets. And this is of the new Star Wars movie? This is for the new Avengers movie. I'm sorry. I missed, it was kind of, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then coming up in June, if you want to get ahead on some of the movies we've got coming up in June, uh, we've got Sex, Lies, and Videotape. We've got Drugstore, Cowboy, Tango and Cash, and Roadhouse. And then <laughs> at some point in June, we will hit our 250th episode. Oh. So 250 is Jeff is running the 250th show. That'll be our show on the 80s cartoons. So hopefully you've you've done your voting, gentlemen, because... Jeff said he's going to be he's going to be strict on the rules here, and and we're going to have to make some firm decisions. No more of this loosey goosey. Well, I get I got to pick five, so I'm going to give you eight names, and I know I'm guilty of that too. So I was going to say I was proud of you for narrowing your poets down today. I that that was kind of tough, but I I was specifically told by Jeff. I was like, nope. When we get to two fifty, decisions have to be made. All right, it's not going to be easy, but we'll do it. All right, that's going to do it for this one. So thank you both. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, John. All right, you all be excellent to each other, and we will see you back here next time. Go watch some good movies. Be excellent to each other. We'll see you back here next time.